Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. You might already be having these conversations within your tribe, but we want to form a community that brings divergent thoughts together. My name's Jamie. I was a church planter and now I'm helping others to plant churches as the Gen 1K mission team leader. Instead of this increasing polarization, we want to learn how to explore different perspectives with a commitment to learning from each other. So at the end of every episode, I've gathered some friends for a roundtable conversation to explore how these ideas might play out in your context. Follow us on Instagram and join our Forming Church podcast Facebook group to add your voice to the conversation. Uh, Welcome in. Good to have you here, William Small. Bench Gould. Listeners, welcome everybody. Bench, it's great to see you on this podcast here. Yes, thank you. Uh, You're the only one that can see me on the podcast. You that's true. That. That's yeah. true. Hey, we have uh, Mike Frost joining us today and this is a great conversation. Mike Frost is uh, internationally recognized. He is a missiologist, which is a great word. I love that word. Excellent job title. It is a great job title. Do you he reckon is- we are? Podcastologists, podologists, podologists. Sounds like a like yeah. a podiatrist. Yeah, that's what. Reckon podiatrists. Any any like podiatry podcasts? The pod pod. There, there would have to be. There would have to. We be. digress. We do. Digress. Mike Frost. His books. Did you know? Are required reading in many colleges and seminaries around the world. How wow. many books? Do you know how many books this guy's written? Nineteen. You do know how many I books I do. I written. know exactly how many. But uh, a whole bunch of great books. A few that I love. The Shaking of Things to Come, Exiles, The Road to Missional, Surprise the World. If you haven't read any of those, I would recommend them to you. The first book I read by him was called Jesus the Fool. And I have to say, it was a game changer. That is one that I have not read. But maybe I will. Mike is also a uh, former church planter, which is obviously of interest to this podcast where we're exploring all things uh, future church, the church that is forming, the church to come, church plants, new missional endeavors. Uh, Mike planted a church called Small Boat Big Sea. You would, you would like that, wouldn't you? Small? I mean, was it a, a little boat or a boat that was like named after a small, like me, like a surname? Will Small Boat. We don't know. Mike is the founding director of the Tinsley Institute, which is the mission study center um, at Morling College in Sydney, Australia. And uh, you're going to really love this conversation. Absolutely. Mike is such an important and uh, sought after voice for a reason. And we were so stoked that he sat down to have a conversation with us around what mission looks like in a post-pandemic world. Well, Mike, thank you for joining us. Um, it'd be great just to start with you telling us what a normal week in the life of Mike looks like. Oh, well, a normal week at the moment is uh, pretty standard. Like I, I teach at Morling College and I, I'm there, you know, nine to five, five days a week. But um, in my previous pre-coronavirus life, <laughs> um, there could be all sorts of other things that go on. So, you know, I, I travel, I speak, uh, 
I write, I've been a church planter, you know, I've been on various boards and committees and things that used to actually meet physically face to face. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, no, it feels like my life is like, like just down to the nine to five at the college. Not that that's bad, yeah. but it's a lot less dimensional than it has been for years. Yeah. Mm. Oh, very good. And a, a few Zoom meetings, I'm sure, sprinkled. Sprinkled stacks among those, yeah. yeah. Stacks and stacks of them. Back last semester we had Zoom classes and Zoom meetings and Zoom team meetings and Zoom board meetings and gosh, I mean, it's uh, crazy, wasn't it? Yes. They tell us technology is the way of the future. It's like, yikes, I don't know about that. Well, the world is definitely changing and that's one of the things we're interested in. As the world changes, how is the church going to change with it? Um, I remember early on, I think pretty early in the pandemic you posted something about whether or not this had taken the church back um, 20 years or so I think from memory but you know either way it has revealed kind of some of the cracks maybe in the way we were doing church but on the flip side may have opened up new opportunities to ask some of those deeper questions that come through disruption so just from your perspective Mike broadly speaking what do you see as some of the cracks that have been revealed by the pandemic in the church and maybe some of the opportunities and you know new doors opening Yeah Yeah I mean when I wrote that thing about going back 25 years it was in response to what I was seeing from a lot of church leaders and pastors with a, with an obsession with kind of views and visits to their live stream service and so you know, 20 or more, more years ago, we were all taught how to count, basically, at you know, theological college. It's like how to count attendees and how to get more attendees and how to, how to measure success chiefly through the, the metrics of, of uh, your budget, your, your, your attendees and, and your staffing, I suppose. Um, and so I thought, oh, well, over the last 25 years, that's sort of been broken down. I mean, people have come to realise the chief purpose of the church is not to grow itself. The chief purpose of the church is to alert others to the reign of God. And there's a secondary, possibly tertiary outcome that we do that really well in a winsome and appealing and attractive way. Churches will grow, but, you know, you don't count the tertiary outcome. You kind of try and measure your primary purpose. And I thought, you know, enough has been talking about that for long enough that that had started to kind of really seep in. So once I saw this kind of almost knee-jerk reaction to like count count everything, look, look, this is awesome, this is incredible, we're counting all of our views, I thought, oh my gosh, is this just below the surface that, that we should revert immediately straight back to that? And yeah, my big fear was it was just a reiteration of a kind of what I thought was a kind of a, an older fashioned approach to kind of church leadership. Which, in answer to your question, is kind of one of those cracks, I suppose. Is it that we just stopped talking about counting, but really, actually, we were, you know, in a more subtle, more apparently appropriate way. We were still basically counters. We were still basically trying to attract people uh, as members to a, to a gathering. Um, so I'm hearing lots of people saying, you know, like, my church talks about how we're such a great community and we're, like, we're a real family and now I can't see any of them and no one's called me or shown any interest in me and it, it, I just feel like this community thing just like like fairy floss just dissolved, you know. It's, so we say one thing but coronavirus is sometimes revealing, you know, some other things. So it has revealed to us we're probably not that great at collective worship. 
we kind of feel lost about what does what does worship look like sure it's not going to be the eucharist in in that classic sense but what does it look like for us to bodily pray what does it look like for us to engage in kind of liturgic practices even a socially distanced kind of way what does responsive readings or reflective exercises look like they're 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 all been considered esoteric kind of behaviors and now that you've taken away the primary ones we're kind of lost i think that's been really in insightful learning for those of us who are willing to listen to it yeah i think i think that's so interesting and uh, we've certainly found that at our church that you know you can you can post the same thing online the, the same songs, the same talk, the same people, it's not the same and it's not working and it's showing us that it's not working, um, which is, I think you're right, when we have ears to listen and we're, we're humble enough to go, well, what what could work? Uh, that's that's when we begin to see where God's at work, I suppose. Um, but I'm interested in your take in technology, in the future of the church. Obviously, lots of stuff has gone online. We're realizing there's some good aspects to that and some not so good aspects to that. What do you see five or ten years as sort of the best of a church form in terms of the, the relationship between the analog, the in-person, and, and technology? Yeah, well, I think that's one thing that coronavirus has forced, not just on the church. I mean, I'm, I'm in tertiary education. So universities and colleges have been talking forever. I mean, as long as I've been in it, talking about the way, you know, technology is going to change and reshape the way we do education. But we still have lectures and tutorials. I mean... It's always been like, oh, here's an optional side thing. You might want to look at this thing online that we've posted for you. Whereas this is just like completely reversed that. We can't have lectures or tutorials. And so, um, you know, educational institutions are discovering that, you know, as is the church. Uh, I think one thing that this has revealed is that nothing, absolutely nothing replaces actual physical contact and, and presence and interactions like... Yeah, it's not satisfying. To it, it wouldn't be satisfying if I was having this conversation with you guys, you know, via Zoom. It'd be okay, but it wouldn't be as satisfying. Um, and so, yeah, that's been reconfirmed for us. We, I think, already knew that the importance of embodied life in Christ and community. So we kind of knew that, and it's confirmed that for us. But that's not to say that we can't make use of technologies. I, I think. Um, as educational institutions are discovering, okay, what does it look like if we actually start to develop hybrid ways of learning which do invite people to engage face-to-face insofar as they can and we're assuming into the future they will be able to? What does it look like for us to actually kind of run tutorial-style, interactive learning, embodied, physically present with each other, but also provide all sorts of resources, not just kind of reading, but accessible activities, uh, reflection opportunities. I think we've been talking about that for a long time, but now we're going to have to come to the party on it. But then that gets me thinking about the church, and I think, why isn't the church thinking about this? Like, why do we think that the way to teach our congregation is to give them a 30-minute monologue about a passage that they can actually kind of Google right there while they're sitting in front of you if they need to. Like there is so much information available to Christians about every passage, every topic, every everything. But they still need teaching and shepherding. I mean, one of the biggest issues I think for people uh, today is not where is the information on this passage or topic. The question is... 
could somebody kind of shepherd me, someone be a narrator for me to help weed out and find what's the good material on this? And I think if church leaders start to see themselves in that respect, it's like, yeah, I know you can just Google this passage, but you'll find a whole lot of garbage out there as well as some good stuff there. Here, let me shepherd you through this process. So what if churches actually started developing kind of using um, online educational software similar, say, to Moodle or something like that? What if you're like at your church, it's like, hey, let me give you a 10-minute talk just to stimulate mm. your thinking around this. Uh, here's an idea I have or here's an experience I had with respect to that. Like what if it's just not the big 30-minute thing? Mm. It's just enough to stimulate interest. And here's what I want you to do. Like go online. We're going to be meeting on Thursday night online or there's this this quiz I'd like you to do or yeah. there's this article I'd like you to read or you know whatever it might be. Like you could develop all sorts of resources that – allow congregations to be shepherded by you but to access that in their own time and at their 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 um, in a way that kind of is convenient to their style of learning this doesn't minimize the role of the teacher actually it elevates it yes and neither does it dismiss the idea of the sermon it just means the sermon takes a slightly different shape i think the sermon then either could be the exclamation point at the end of a learning experience or it could be the catalytic kind of word that kind of starts a learning experience. Mm. I think we've got to think more creatively about what embodied, present, public proclamation looks like in a day and age where people are now used to accessing information all over the place. Yeah, I love that. You wrote an article about uh, the 10-minute homily. And, and um, I had read that and, and at the time we were making our – Sunday sermons shorter and shorter every week. And so now that's sort of seven or eight minutes um, on a Sunday in our house churches. Um, and I've, I've been just thinking through what does it mean to be a teacher for the church? And I was thinking about, you know, the teachers that I've had in my life and the pastors that I've had in my life. And it's very rarely the 35-minute the sermon uh, monologue on a Sunday that's, you know, changed my life. But what that teacher has done is given me themes and ways to think about the world. It's, it's become a trusted voice. Mm. And so it's, yes, yeah, the shift between my role is to speak for 35 minutes on a Sunday, but my role is actually to, to become a trusted voice, mm. a shepherd yeah. for, for the people. Um, yeah, I mean, look, in our world, people are searching for those kinds of voices. So, you know, f- for a long time, even though he's just retired, um, Sydney radio announcer Alan Jones was that person. It's kind of like for a lot of older folks, it's like, whoa, climate change seems so hard to understand. There's all these competing voices and everyone's throwing at me all these websites that come from, you know, various scientific kind of voices. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Don't worry. Alan will narrate that whole story. He'll tell you what's rubbish. He'll tell you what's true. He's not giving monologues, big long sermons. He's shepherding his listeners. And people are desperate for it because there's so much information. There's just so much. No one's starving for information. They're, they just don't know the way to, to find their, their way through all of that stuff. Mm. So in that respect, yeah, I think that what, what, what teachers or pastoral preachers are doing is, is fulfilling that kind of function. The idea that, hold on, I'm, I'm not teaching if I don't give a 30-minute talk, that's more, you know, your crap than it is the congregations. That's more satisfying a feeling in you that you're not doing the right thing if you don't pull that one out. I don't suppose too many in the congregation are actually thinking that. But if you're a teacher, like if you say you are a teacher, and lots of pastors do, 
I would say, how do you assess whether anyone in your congregation's learned anything? Like, I mean, you have to you don't give them an exam at the end of the year or anything, but on what basis do you determine whether the people that I've been teaching have learned anything in this series we've just done or over the period of this semester or this year? Or So in that regard, I'd say, like, okay, you're a teacher, be a teacher, come on. Like, step up, there's all sorts of technologies available to you. The church website can be used for way more than it's being used for. For most people, the church website's a, a billboard or a sign. It's just, I go there so I can find out what time your service is on. But what if there was a whole range, a treasure trove of stuff, knowing the Smiths are right into reading books, so they'll, they'll download that book. But the Jones is like... He told me he doesn't read. So there's a whole bunch of video clips for him. Like, if we recognise all the different styles of learning in our congregations, mm. if we're actually pastors and we love them and we're teachers, we'd want to shepherd them in a way that they find is accessible to them. Yeah, my observation would be around that as well, that it actually helps us to think about not only different learning styles but different generational learning styles. And so in our little simple church, um, you know, there's there's no message at the moment. There's no 30-minute sermon, but it means that with the kids in as well as the adults, we can all do an exercise together where we maybe pick up something outside and, and look at it and have a talk about what does this, you know, piece of nature say about what God is like. Or um, I, I love teaching and enjoy preaching, probably for some of that ego stroking, if I'm honest, rather than just what the people need. But it, I think to actually think more holistically about rather than just the teacher as the the message giver, but guiding people through different avenues of learning. And for sure, I think the the information that maybe there was a time when there was a shortage of information, but now what there's a shortage of is wisdom. And how do we actually guide people through the information, learn how to consume it well? And how does the church maybe then play a leadership role? in teaching broader culture around how to actually discern and be wise with information. You know, but the bummer is, though, I'm actually quite good at giving 30-minute sermons. That's, yes. that's, that's like the total bummer You should become a it's spoken like, word poet. <laughs> yeah, well, but, then you just, you just get your 30-minute sermon into three minutes. Still great, a little bit more efficient. That's my recommendation. Thanks. Mike. I'll work on that. <laughs> um, I'm interested in your thoughts. You know, pandemic aside, as much as that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say because it's just coloured the whole world so much right now, but there were all kinds of other things happening in our moment in time in this place that we're in in Australia that are impacting the missiological landscape or the landscape for evangelism, obviously living in kind of a post-Christian, heavily sceptical time, lots of people uh, deconstructing faith, you know, questioning all the systems. Um, so I'm just interested, what are your thoughts on a healthy vision of evangelism and mission that doesn't, that, that acknowledges the reality of that stuff and maybe uh, finds new ways that actually reinvigorate some of those words that have a fair bit of baggage. Um, yeah, I think, um, well, I think you mentioned this word already, the idea that this is a disruptive kind of experience. So people have kind of been dislocated, separated, had to find themselves again now, not so much these days here in Sydney, but in lots of places like in lockdown, like literally cut off from others, physically cut off from others. And um, actually the disruption's a good thing because it kind of has in a way taken some of the kind of heat out of the kind of anxieties about things that you've been talking about and has allowed a kind of a rethink and, and a reset. And 
seems to me as though like what lots of people have re- have discovered is how desperately they need a community and neighbourhood. And that's saying something in suburban life, which, you know, has really... We all live in neighbourhoods, but we completely overlook the concept of neighbourhood. It might well be that kind of more urban contexts or towns and villages do, but suburbia, where most Australians live, is uh, we just overlook the whole idea that we have neighbours because the car is king and we drive in and out of places. We don't really need to engage with people. So the rediscovery, the beautiful rediscovery that I'm, I've, I've been seeing, uh, you know, people taking their kids out to, you know, do chalkboard messages on the footpaths or letterbox dropping their neighbours, like, here's my mobile, need anything, let me know, or picking up medication from the pharmacy for that elderly couple across the road who I always knew, I think their names were Bob and Jan, but I never kind of really actually knew a whole lot about them. And now I've discovered, oh my gosh, like now they're all like, you know, where did you learn this sort of sense of neighbourliness from or what what motivated you? Do you want to do this kind of thing? And what we're discovering is there's actually, in suburbia at least, there's a great deal of goodwill around the idea that there might be a organisation or institution in our neighbourhoods here that have actually been talking a lot about love and relationships and care and service and humility. I never saw it. I just that's just a building that I see people go into on a Sunday. Didn't really know the neighbours across the road were Christians actually. And now all of a sudden all that's been uncovered in a way. So I'm somewhat hopeful about it all. It's actually kind of forced us to really reset in a way. And so... In my view, evangelism is nearly always a conversation, nearly always. Occasionally you might take someone to go see, you know, Franklin Graham or somebody when they come out, but like nearly always evangelism happens as a conversation. And so therefore when you're not having any conversations with any people who don't share your faith, how does it happen? How does it work? It doesn't. But my fear is that lots of Christians, when the opportunity arises, um, all they've got to go on is that old thing that they grew up with, which is a schematic explanation of a theory of atonement. And I'm hearing people say, in conversation, that I can't, mm. I can't shoehorn that into this conversation. And so I need some clues on how do I talk about mm. God in the midst of when things look like they're coming apart. Mm. And why hasn't your church been helping you with that right up to this point. Mm. Why is that not the case? And unfortunately it's because I think we've been operating on this idea that evangelism is some event or some peculiar thing that happens and now I get to talk to you about Jesus. As distinct from just equipping and discipling people in our churches to talk in a natural, winsome, conversational manner Mm. about how I make sense of my world Mm. through the lens of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, I think the the models of evangelism that have a lot of baggage and that make parts of me cringe just feel like bad marketing techniques and just bait and switch. You know, we've struck up this relationship so that I can get you to buy this product. Uh, To me, that sounds like bad news. And so whenever I'm talking to people about whether or not the word evangelism can be recovered, it's kind of like, well, if it sounds like bad news, it's probably not evangelism because it's the proclamation of good news, good news for a world that feels like it's falling apart. So what's good news look like in this moment in time? Yeah, it's good. Mike, I'm, um, I'm interested. Some, some might say that you are a polarizing figure 
and uh, you, you can go on Mike's uh, Facebook if you if you want proof in the in the comment section of your posts. I think you've you've held the role of a prophetic voice, certainly for our tribe of churches, but you know the church in Australia and uh, uh, other Western countries as well. I'm interested in um, how you keep your uh, perspective. I think you're, you're, you're constantly calling people to, hey, come and look at this, come and look at this from this side or this angle. And obviously that comes with a lot of criticism as well. But I'm interested in, in what practices you have to help you uh, continue to see the future of the church uh, in, in God's light, regardless of the way that people are sort of <laughs> talking about you or going off in the comments. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I'm a contrarian by nature, and I'm a bit prophetic by spiritual gifting and also by age, I don't really care a whole lot. I mean, you just get older and it's just like I'm, I'm not really that worried if random people I don't know who have don't have me in their best interests and clearly I don't have for them because I don't know them, uh, I'm not going to get too kind of worked up about that. I do get really worked up when I know people – who love me and hold me accountable say you're going a bit too hard on this or you're pushing this a bit too much or that was a bit inappropriate. So yeah, I get I get um, uh, you know really well, if I get remonstrated by people I know love me then I then I back not back down but I, I realize I've got to rethink some of what I'm what I'm doing. I also am the kind of person who and maybe that's the contrarian kind of side to me. I personally get really stimulated when people pose to me ideas that I don't agree with uh, passionately because I'm like, mm, okay. And particularly one thing I've discovered is that if you critique something that you think is an idea or a system and certain people have actually invested their identities in that and I just thought I'd discovered gold and so I just ran around telling all my mates from who were part of my year at theological college, it's like, like all wide-eyed and excited, like guys, like everything you're doing is a complete waste <laughs> of time. Like <laughs> jump out and join me. Like this is the way. And couldn't understand why they were like so angry with me. But actually, no, I now think I was basically telling you that your whole identity is based on rubbish. And it's not. People make choices to follow Christ in all sorts of ways, but at the very heart of them, I think that they are actually genuine. We've all got mixed motives, including me. So, yeah, I've become much more... I try to be more generous, actually, in the way I deal with it. I'd much rather, like, well, let's hit the target, not you. No offence to you. Um, and at times, it just has to be times when you can say to someone in your congregation, I love you, I love you to bits, I'm totally committed to you. Don't agree with a lot of what you're saying, but um, uh, I, I don't feel like I, I have to combat you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to serve you, but I, I don't agree with you. Mm. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. It's been really great to hear your your wisdom and perspectives in this moment that we're in. We're just going to wrap things up with a few rapid fire questions. Right. These are kind of the single word or single sentence answers. So think like a poet. What do you think is the biggest danger to the church's future? Just one word? Or one sentence without um, too many commas? Capitulating to political polarisation. That's good. What's giving you hope about the future of the church? Uh, that 
the gospel still works, that people are still being transformed by the Holy Spirit, that repentance still leads to changed lives, that ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit can do extraordinary things, that justice continues to prevail slowly, really slowly, but there are still people who are willing to commit themselves to really costly and embarrassing or humiliating actions to to serve the least of these um yeah the gospel still works what uh what's influencing you right now in terms of books podcasts things you're consuming uh well i tend to consume podcasts that are either you know true crime or history so for me podcasts are like a step out of out of not of life but out of like lots of heavy thinking about things but um and lots of the stuff that I'm reading these days tends to be in the zone I'm already operating in. You know, it's kind of the whole missional kind of uh, kind of world. Um, I have kind of you know really valued the writing of people who are willing to call us back to um, you know, first principles and to embrace what does it look like for us to be both committed to evangelism and and at the same time are calling us to kind of radical lives committed to to justice to bringing reconciliation to speaking up for the least of these to do this you don't have to give in to the left or right or the liberal or the conservative is it possible that actually there's a community of faith in the midst of all of this polarization that actually manages to hold these things together not even intention but actually to see them as complementary as as feeding each other um, so people who write around that have continued to inspire me. Mm. Great. If you could only recommend one book, what would you recommend? Or what do you find yourself recommending to most people? It, well, it really depends on what they want, you know, like what, what are, you know. so if, if they're church leaders and they're like, well, what does, what does missional leadership look like? I tend to recommend, you know, uh, Alan Hirsch's stuff, you know, from five, his book 5Q or, uh, or an easier version of that is J.R. Woodward's um, uh, Creating a Missional Culture. So if, it, if it's leadership, I'd say, oh, something along those lines. If it's like, you know, what does the, what's the role of the church look like? I'm not a dyed-in-the-wool Anabaptist, but I'm almost there. And so I'd go with Stanley Hauwas, a classic old book is Resident Aliens, uh, or anything that David Fitch has written with respect to kind of missional presence i'm old school it's kind of classic late 19 late 20th century missiology well stuff that ages well is uh is good um, and anything by tim sorens or any other guests that you may have had on this <laughs> podcast <laughs> uh excellent okay final question i just want you to imagine in your mind person listening to this podcast they're thinking about planning a church or they're thinking about starting a new missional endeavor of some sort maybe a social enterprise that's good news in the neighborhood gospel oriented Somebody who's looking at starting something new, your two to three sentences of input to that person listening. Uh, yeah, well, I would say, you know, get people around you to hold you accountable, people who inspire you and are not people in your, not in your project, but find people external to your project who are going to support and nurture, but also nudge and shape and, and if necessary, kind of rebuke and, uh, and take the hard edges off you. So uh, put yourself in a position where you can be spoken into 
but without diluting your particular vision or idea or dream, work long and hard to ensure that your fellow travellers, your co-workers are actually not, not on the same page but have actually given their life to this kind of vision of what the kingdom looks like. I think both within the, the system and external to it, you need important people who are going to sustain you because too many of these things get started and don't kind of go anywhere. How can uh, people connect with you or your work? What's the best place or way for people to do that? Uh, well, yeah, I'm on all the all the socials, and I've got a I've got a website, uh, mikefrost.net. Perfect, wonderful, awesome. Well, there's plenty of stuff in there that was uh, very relevant for me, and I'm sure will be for many others. So, thanks so much for your time and input, Mike. No worries, guys. Good to talk to you. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services find out more, visit bfs.org.au. We hope you are enjoying the Forming Church podcast. As fun as it is to listen to our voices, they are not the only ones that matter. Add your voice to the conversation by joining the Forming Church Facebook group or connecting with us on Instagram at Forming Church. What do the ideas in this episode's interview look like in diverse contexts? That's what Jamie, Ken and Pip are going to explore right now. Welcome, Pip. Thanks, Jamie. Welcome, Ken. Good to be here. It's great to have you guys here. In this conversation, we heard Benj and Will chat with Mike Frost about mission after COVID. Pip, Ken, what stood out to you in the interview today? Yeah, I think um, the teaching and learning in different modes um, was something that that stood out to me and um, really appreciated the fact that that Mike talked about not just uh, learning through text and books but through videos and podcasts Mm. and quizzes and um, creative arts and just different ways that people learn. And also I was reflecting on that um, with the reality in mind that uh, in Australia over 20% of households speak a language other than English at home. And so I think when we're talking about how we teach and how we learn uh, in our churches in Australia, it's important to ask that question as well. Um, in what language or languages mm. are we um, helping people to learn uh, and to grow in their faith in Jesus? Mm, that's great. I can remember as a preacher, week in, week out preaching, and you can have uh, two different types of reflection on the same message. Someone yeah. will come up to you afterwards and say, oh, that message changed my life. And someone else will come up and say, that did not make sense. And what do you mean by this? And yeah. we were quite uh, experiential in the way in which we did our our teaching and learning. And so we, we did times where we had flip learning, where we would uh, begin with the sermon moment or a podcast uh, on a Monday, we would release it. We'd release a whole bunch of resources via our blog or website that that people could interact with, very similar to what Mm. Mike was talking about. Mm. And then Sunday would be a moment for uh, testimony or conversation around what people had learnt. And the same thing was true there. Uh, Some people came up and said, this is fantastic. I've never learnt more in my life. And other people said, give me the 30-minute monologue. And I think that just speaks to the fact that we do all learn Learn differently. differently. all inspired in different ways and we all collect information and are transformed in different ways so yeah yeah, a really important thing uh, to keep in mind that our mode of teaching um, isn't what we worship or idolize or or make a hero of in this space Uh, but we hold that loosely and and again that that image of the shepherd I found really really helpful how Benj reflected on that and the idea of a trusted voice yeah Uh, what did you think about that Ken Uh, that's amazing because um, as in being a a, a pastor right now living in this uh, pandemic um, 
I realized that once uh, the, co- the the things that sort of hold us together or hold the center service together are taken away, singing being very key. Um, and I remember when we communicated to the church and people are lost. Like, what do you mean? Like, how are we going to do service mm. without being able to sing? Interesting, yeah. And it just revealed like, okay. Uh, but then you find yourself at home. You're no longer... Uh, running up and down, uh, you're just at home and you're forced to start shepherding or being a shepherd in your neighborhood. And this is a place you've most likely spent least time. So how do we, what I'm trying to figure out is how do I then shift from being the pastor at this particular church um, to a place where I can actually start developing a voice within where I live that becomes a trusted voice. Because like Mike mentioned, uh, people are asking questions. People are scared. People have anxiety. People are struggling to make sense of what's happening. Um, and, and, and so how they turn to you and ask you, is God in this? And those are true people who maybe have no faith background. So how do you become that voice um, that doesn't have a stage or a pulpit to do a 30-minute sermon, mm-hmm. but you're taking the trash out, your neighbor's doing the same thing, you have a three-minute window to actually share something that is trustworthy that sort of builds hope uh, and a sense of calmness so yeah mm. that, that's that's the one thing about the becoming a trusted voice that's really captured me mm. Mm. and as will pointed out there's there's no shortage of information oh yeah at yeah. this point oh, yeah. in time especially in covid yeah. uh, there has just been an overwhelming amount of information i mean when we started out people <laughs> were doing true. like we our views were really high and and true. What Mike says, a lot of us, myself included, looked at the views and all that, and it's just this thing in us. I don't know what it that drives us to seek affirmation in the numbers and the views. Uh, but as the reality came that this is going to be there for long, and I started, you know, touching base with some of our members, just saying, oh, on a Sunday they would do four or five services, easy, because they're there. They're binging. Yeah, they're binging. Instead of binging services. Netflix, they're yeah. binging church services. And the truth is. People have access to information. Yep. Period. Um, and so this, uh, the COVID has really brought this to the fore that people can actually access the info they need, the services they need. You're no longer the lone voice, so the challenge become becomes becoming the trusted voice. Mm, yeah, that's really good. One of the things also in that is that um, people stopped stre- uh, connecting in live, and there was this trend towards watching the services back at different points yeah. in mm-hmm. the week. Yeah. And and so even the time around when people are consuming uh, information around scripture and hearing the sermon moment is actually shifting as yeah. well. What mm-hmm. else stood out to you guys? Well, I think the the reality as well that. Um, we like to gather in person. Nah, that if we can, uh, I think there's a preference to that, yeah. and uh, and I think that's something that um, for us in Sydney, when when there's times when we, we ha- we're not able to meet at all, and then we could meet in smaller groups, we could start coming back together again. Just that, okay, that's the preference. Yeah, it's good to be together. Yeah, one of the amazing things that happened. So we started gathering in. We we're not meeting in person on a Sunday. We're doing it small groups, and I remember the when we started gathering, we started asking us, okay, what are we going to do around time for listening to scripture or watching the message? And because we do, the kids talk together with our, uh, in our main service as part of the service. I remember the very first time we watched it, the kids talk was about maybe four minutes. People loved it. And yeah. so that's what we've been doing. So when we gather in our small group, uh, we have the kids with us, we watch the kids talk and there is such a wealth of, 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 of theology in the simplistic, in the simple way the kids talk are presented. Yeah, 
And so people want to gather together. They want to sit down and watch a 30-minute sermon. They just want five minutes, mm. amazing talk from the kids. Have coffee and just talk. People have just missed being together. Mm. Which is great because you're seeing this intergenerational learning happening, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Where yeah. faith is being passed um, up and down and beyond, yeah. uh, which is mm. really quite inspiring. What do you guys think about the role of technology? And what do you think the church's role is in that space? If everyone mm. is jumping online and even perhaps the addictive... Um, behaviors that that creates in in the life of pastors who are uploading their sermons and and just you know staying in touch with the comments or the likes that that's mm. happening in that space what yeah. oh man jamie i think that's been one of the biggest um thing i've been trying to process because the reality what i've seen um in my own life also is there's been a, a leakage of um our social how we present ourselves socially uh, in our own personal Facebook, Instagram, and all that, to how we want our, to present our church services. And I think there's been, not in all cases, but in some cases, a lack of authenticity of who the, that church is. It could be a church of, a small church somewhere, but there's a sense in which we want people to see we're a big church, we've got good technology, we want to doing things, we want to make sure that the recording is perfect. So churches have invested heaps in just buying good equipment um, and and make sure they have right background. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality, if, if someone came to your church, it's not you. It's not authentic to who you are. Uh, and so uh, I think there's that overlap of what we do personally in social media as ministers and pastors to what we want our church to be. Um, and I think it has an impact because people who watch your service will know that's not who we are. That's not authentic to who we are on a Sunday or when we gather. So. I don't know what the solution is to that, but yeah. yeah. That's great. If you guys could ask Mike a follow-up question, what would you ask? Oh, what question would you ask, Mike? Um, I think one of the things that's, that he mentioned, I think just in passing, but really stood out for me, was the whole idea of the fact that the mythological landscape has shifted to where people are rediscovering or reimagining community uh, and the beauty of that. And I'd really love to press in just a bit more on what that, what he sees that looking like going forward. Um, that whole rediscovery of, of the beauty of community and neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Mm. COVID has kind of uh, really located us in yes. our homes yeah. and in our neighborhoods, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Pip, how about you? Well, if the primary purpose is to alert people to the presence of God, if that is what counts, how do we count that? Mm. How do we measure that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Give give us some some more clues on how to do that. That's a great question, isn't it? Because counting isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear how do you even quali- qualitatively or quantitatively yeah. measure what that looks like. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. And um, if you were to suggest a concrete action or next step for someone in this area, what would it be? I think the conversations. I think we know we are sort of locked in place for now. And what Mike said, evangelism is a conversation. How do I actually look for opportunity to start conversations around me that, you know, alert people to the glory of God? Mm. I wonder for the um, the teachers, um, try the 10-minute sermon if you haven't tried it before. Nice. And for those who are gathering, um, who perhaps haven't gathered in person for a little while, um, what does that look like to gather? Even if it's half a dozen people uh, opening up, 
the scriptures, talking together, sharing, praying, perhaps even eating together, um, try that. That's great. And I think for all of us, it's about being aware of what our identity might be wrapped up in. Mm. Because one of the things that, that struck me in what Mike was sharing is that it's really hard to have conversation with people who think differently or yeah. have different priorities or different yeah. gifts to us um, when our identity is wrapped up in that. Yeah. And so what does it look like to um, move the conversation beyond the individual and start to talk about uh, the topic or the issue rather than um, ourselves being wrapped up in that space? Mm. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. Remember to join the conversation at the Forming Church Podcast Facebook group and follow us on Instagram. Well, Benj, what a great opportunity it was to have that chat with Mike. What is your one next step or key learning based on our chat with Mike? Yeah, I, I really loved when he was talking about um, receiving criticism and uh, having those few trusted voices that you listen to because there's you know a whole bunch of opinions out there particularly when you become uh, a more public figure like Mike is and um, someone who <laughs> cops a lot of criticism online I've noticed and uh, to realize who are the people that you're going to listen to I reckon yeah. that's really important I, I really want to work on my list of would people. I be in your list uh, we'll see okay. getting there slowly not that I have anything to criticize to be honest you're <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Absolute angel. Thank you. Well, for me, Bench, one of the things I really got out of that conversation was uh, I just really enjoyed the uh, openness and curiosity around what teaching and learning looks like in uh, in our different contexts, particularly as the um, the Sunday service has to evolve. Mm. Um, it's something I've already been exploring, but really enjoyed hearing that talk on yeah, how do we um, embrace new educational formats, whether yeah. that's a shorter message or an experiential kind of learning exercise. I love Mike's thoughts in that area. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, would you do something for us? We would love for you to share it with someone that you know, maybe another church planter or someone who's just interested in the future of the church that is forming in Australia. You can do that by just sharing on Instagram or in person or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, if you listen on an iPhone or on your Mac computer, if you just jump in, uh, search this up on the Apple Podcast app, click the five-star review if you're feeling it and write a couple nice sentences about what we're doing. That helps more people to discover this content. It's good stuff. Wonderful. Well, you have a great rest of whatever the uh, day, night it is. And I uh, will see you next week. See you then.